I want to say a quick hello to our listeners on Stitcher. As you may have heard, the Stitcher app is going away on August 29th, but don't worry, we will still exist and you will still be able to find us. You can listen and subscribe to Big Mood, Little Mood on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or anywhere else you can find podcasts, like on a mysterious sidewalk that only appears at four in the afternoon in a certain part of town. And thanks so much for being a loyal listener. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Daniel Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is just me. Uh, I had a guest this week who was supposed to appear with me. Uh, You should know that she described herself as a circus runaway, and she is not here. I don't, she's not missing. I'm not, I'm not putting out like an APB, but I, I do feel a little bit tickled by the fact that the circus runaway has in fact run away. Uh, I will obviously edit this out if, uh, you know, there, there turns out to be something more sinister behind her disappearance, but my guess is much more likely she just had something else going on today. So, uh, it's just going to be me today, which is a sort of rare big mood, little mood episode. Usually I do talk with a guest partly because I think it's really useful to get multiple perspectives on other people's advice and partly because it's more interesting to listen to a conversation than a series of monologues. But every so often I, I think it can't hurt to, um, wrestle through issues by yourself. So uh, I'm going to be tackling these questions by myself today, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I also just heard from the sound engineer here at Slate, Ben, that he recently, and by recently I mean three years ago, found old promotional surfboards from the short-lived HBO series John from Cincinnati, which we both agree is a perfect show, uh, just laying around in Brooklyn. And that apparently back in, in 2007, when John from Cincinnati was coming out, HBO decided to promote it by sending surfboards to influencers in various cities and have them just, I guess, walk around or surf with them. Uh, and it doesn't seem like... Uh, they, they lasted very long. So it's it's both beautiful and poignant and gone too soon, just like the show John from Cincinnati, which I highly recommend watching. It's only 10 episodes. You could knock it out in less than a week. So if nothing else, my advice today is to watch John from Cincinnati. But don't try to bring it back. It's It's been too long. I, I don't like this. I, I'm now no longer excited about things like revivals. It makes me feel more sad than otherwise. Let's just leave it where it is. Let's not try to bring back the dead. And on that note, uh, the subject of our first letter is called Feeling Trapped. I'm a genderqueer 20-something, any pronouns, who was recently reminded that I feel very physically disconnected from my body in ways I don't always know how to deal with. I've grappled with this before when I've processed childhood sexual abuse and also when I started to pursue certain elements of social and medical transition. Obviously, these were two very different experiences, but they did both help me come to terms with my physical existence. Or so I thought. Transitioning helped at first, but stepping away from my assigned sex at birth has meant being shoved into the so-called opposite box instead. Even trans spaces often feel focused on trans mask versus trans femme when I really just feel trans. Usually I avoid thinking about this, but recently I was followed and harassed for several blocks by a cis man for looking ambiguous. He pulled my hair and made unsavory remarks. 
And while nothing else ultimately happened, the whole experience was a reminder that regardless of how I see myself, my body is what everyone else sees first, and there's only so much I can do to influence that. I'll always be seen as either a failed man or a failed woman. I try to love and take care of my body, but it feels so disconnected from my internal conceptualization of me. Do you have any advice on viewing your body as a part of yourself and not something you just happen to be stuck in? Thanks so much for your time. I really, really felt for this letter writer, um, and I, I suppose I just want to start by saying I'm really, really deeply sorry. I know you wrote that nothing else happened, but I think getting your hair pulled and and you know insulted by a stranger is is pretty significant in itself. And I'm just really, really sorry. Um, that's deeply painful on top of everything else that you're already going through, which is uh, serious. Uh, so. I think I just wanted to start there with just, I'm sorry, I wish that that hadn't happened to you. Um, That must have been really upsetting and frightening. Uh, I I think I'll sort of try to start by answering the issues throughout the letter in real time. So I'm really glad to hear that transition has been somewhat helpful to you. And it's understandable that there would sort of feel like an early honeymoon period and then also a sort of realization of, okay, but this isn't just fixing everything. This isn't just sweeping away all of my problems or making being perceived by other people effortless. I don't just feel sort of uh, seamlessly understood or like everything I feel internally lines up with how other people perceive me. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think sometimes I, I have a friend who talks about, you know, transition doesn't fix all your problems. It it mostly just addresses one pretty specific problem, um, but you still have all kinds of other problems, and it can also create and introduce other ones. So I, I really, I just get that. That made sense to me. I was sort of curious. There's that line of even trans spaces feel often feel focused on trans mask versus trans femme when I really just feel trans, uh, as I so often do when I sort of hear that expression. I, I'm curious, like, what trans spaces do you mean, and then what does feel focused mean? Is that the same thing as like, they are, they have to be, they are permanently and exclusively and forever this? Or is it just during this conversation at the trans support group at the local LGBT center, I sort of got a vibe that people were slotting their experiences into two really different categories in a way that made me feel kind of alienated, which would make a lot of sense to me. I would never want to say that you were wrong to feel that. I do just want to caution you against sort of thinking Uh, This is what all trans spaces are like. Trans spaces are things that already existed, and I don't really get to have any input into how they are shaped or change. It's just something that pre-exists and predates me, and I have to take it as it is Um, instead of – there are many, many, many trans spaces. You know, where (laughs) – to paraphrase the Gospels, wherever two or more trans people are gathered in the name of, you know, talking through some shit, there's a trans space. So I would encourage you – you know, depending on what these spaces are, obviously, I'm not suggesting you start like a processing meeting if it was in the middle of like a dance party. But I I would really encourage you to share, not necessarily, hey, I believe all of you people are excited and happy to be slotted into one of two categories, but I don't, you know, certainly don't put too much on others. But to say, you know, in many ways, Uh, I feel less like a trans masculine or a trans feminine person than I do simply as a trans person. And and maybe talk about what that means to you, because I'm curious when I hear that. It sounds interesting. It sounds sort of, you know, mysterious and cool, uh, but I don't necessarily know what that means for you. And so I would just encourage you to share those thoughts and that experiences. And 
uh, as always, I think, to look for similarities rather than differences. And that doesn't mean you have to paper over those differences. That doesn't mean you have to pretend to see yourself in everyone that you meet in any sort of trans context. But I do think that often, especially in earlier stages of transition or earlier um, experiences with larger trans communities, it's sometimes possible to sort of think everybody else is having an easier time of it than me. Lots of other people seem to have simpler genders or simpler transitions, and and they don't seem to be as complicated as I am. And that's not to say, letter writer, that I was getting a sort of stuck-up tone in your letter. I wasn't. Um, This is a pretty universal tendency. All of us are capable of doing it. It doesn't mean we flatten everybody else's complexities. And I certainly didn't feel like reading this letter, you were really sort of putting down others. I just, I wanted to mention that as a sort of general stumbling block that certainly I've come up against in my own life. So yeah, just encourage you, share that complexity, share that desire in part because that will help you find other trans people who feel similarly. And maybe some of them will say, you know, I do feel comfortably trans feminine or comfortably trans masculine, but I also want to focus on the things that we have in common, or I don't necessarily think of us as especially different in in a way that might feel really thrilling to you or really useful to you. And those will be people that you will maybe want to spend some more time with or even create new and additional trans spaces uh, with. So I I guess also not to say like, I'm going to give you homework or an assignment, but to also think about, are there more trans spaces or events uh, or or get-togethers or communities or groups that I want to help start, create, kick off um, that do leave room for the kind of um, open-endedness that that interests me because this is not just a community that's going to be handed down to you and you have to just take it as you find it. Like You get to add to it and to shape it. Um, and if you feel this way, there are certainly other people who probably feel similarly. And if you can find each other and figure out ways to be supportive and have fun together, um, that might go a long way towards making you feel really invested in your trans communities that, that you have locally. And that's really something that I would want for you. So again, I'm not like assigning you a group project or saying, you know, I want you to write me back in six months and tell me the four different new support groups that you've started and all these responsibilities you've taken on. But to whatever extent that you have the time and the energy to do so, I would really encourage you to take ownership of some of that. Again, just then moving ahead to getting followed and harassed. That's just awful. That just sucks. I'm really sorry. It makes sense to me that you feel really shaken. You know, I I have had some similar experiences at at different times in my own transition. Uh, The the last one that really stood out for me was, I've talked about this, I think, occasionally before on the show. I was in the UK with my wife, and we are both trans. This was a few years ago, and uh, we were walking home. And often in the UK, if you are walking home in a city, there's a lot of drunk people out on the street. uh, And sort of famously, a lot of British people do not like trans people. And this pretty drunk guy was following us for a few blocks and just generally did not care for or approve of either of our appearances. And I, I, I don't share any of this in terms of like, this is what you should do in those moments. But I sort of took a gamble and I thought, all right, I think this guy is less likely to escalate uh, if he's surprised. And I'm just going to give this a shot. So I just whirled around and I immediately started shaking his hand and I went full Midwestern folksy, just like, hey there, my name's Daniel. It's great to meet you. This is my wife, Grace. We're just walking home from dinner. We're heading back to our hotel. We're visiting from the United States. She grew up here, but I didn't. I'm from the Midwest. How you doing? How's your night going? What have you been up to? Just like a little wall of sound that I could deliver at him and sort of interrupt the like context that he was operating in. And then he was 
luckily he was like kind of confused and was like, I'm, I had an okay night. I'm glad you had a nice dinner. Like it was just, it was too much of a automatic social script for him to interrupt. Again, I'm not saying that you should do that. Uh, just, and there's other times when somebody has followed me or said weird stuff to me and I haven't said anything and I wouldn't have wanted to say anything. And, and just, I, I share that it's weird. You don't always know what's going to set somebody else off um, or who's going to take offense to your appearance in such a way that it feels like simply by standing apart and minding your own business, someone else will act like you are hurting them, which is like a really genuinely shocking thing to experience when someone takes your appearance so personally. And and so I just, I share that sense of bewilderment and confusion. And I, I say this next part, really, really, I want to say it very gently, which is just, you know, this this sort of, you described this really hostile assault you know your hair was grabbed that's that's the physical assault um and and being followed and then you follow it up by saying i'll always be seen as either a failed man or a failed woman and and i just want to kind of point that out that makes a lot of sense just in terms of coming off the heels of a really upsetting encounter and i don't want to say definitively that will never happen again or you're always going to get safer just that it is not uncommon to get you know a little bit bashed um, or a little bit yelled at and to feel like this is how it's going to be forever. And so I, I just want to encourage you to sort of separate what happened was I had a really upsetting, hostile, somewhat violent encounter with a stranger. And part of me feels like this is how it's just going to be forever. I'm always going to be seen as this one person saw me and that's it. Those are my only options. Um, and to just say, I, th- I think some of that's coming from the understandable shakiness that comes after such an encounter. And I don't necessarily think it is true that you will be seen as either one or the other type of failure for the rest of your life. That's not the same thing as I promise you you're always going to be safe or I promise you that you're always going to be able to present in any kind of like ambiguous or androgynous way that feels right to you and that also brings nothing but joy and delight to other people. Just that Sometimes we weirdly almost try to protect ourselves after an encounter like this by saying, it's going to be like this from now on. So I need to like um, buckle up and and put on my sort of armor and just sort of prepare for the worst. And again, none of that's to say, I promise you're going to be fine. This will never happen again. Just that um, I don't want you to feel like, yes, this is it. This is a guarantee. I'm only ever going to be seen as either failed man or failed woman for the rest of my life. So beyond that, I think I'm a little curious, you know, your question is, do you have any advice on viewing your body as part of yourself and not something you just happen to be stuck in? And I wonder if that's more of a question of safety, uh, of of practice, of habit, of fashion, of continued, you know, you mentioned that there's some partial engagement for you in terms of social and medical transition, but um, other ways in which you're not pursuing that. So I don't know if it's also a question of like what choices you have before you of surgical or other medical interventions, uh, or whether it's about feeling good. So I think that in terms of, you know, you say you try to love and take care of your body, that's a good action. Um, Oftentimes, I think it's good to keep doing the next right thing, even if you don't feel up to it. Like, it's still good to keep trying to shower as regularly as possible or to feed yourself and to drink water, even if it doesn't feel right in that moment. Those are still good things to do. But if it's also just a question generally of I'm doing those right things, but they feel exhausting and and I don't know what else I need to sort of keep going, but I do think that I need more. And so I, I think that 
continuing to seek out other people and to be really honest when you are with other trans people is maybe going to help you get more granular in the moment advice from people in your real life in a way that might continue to be helpful to you. I, I think if you start to feel less alone and less like you're sort of keeping these complicated truths to yourself, you will maybe feel a little bit less isolated. But then on top of that, you know, to continue seeking any kind of outside care, like share anything that might be concerning about general sort of like meaninglessness or anxiety about the future with um, your own doctor, with a therapist, if you have one, with some trusted friends, if you had them. And to just, you know, if right now you're just sort of in a season of, I feel like I haven't quite found my sweet spot in terms of presentation, and I don't quite yet know what I need to do to feel relatively safe when I'm out in public. Again, like other trans people are going to have some, especially people who have been transitioning for a longer time, they'll have some more experience under their belt of like navigating the world where sometimes you run into a stranger who takes offense to your face or the shape of your body. And you got to figure out when am I going to fold them? Uh, when am I going to hold them? When am I going to walk away? And when am I going to run? As, as Kenny Rogers, that queer elder uh, famously told all trans people, um, and those are, I think, important and really subjective skills because everyone has a different sort of limit for in this situation, I might push back or in this situation, I might look for other people and ask for help or in this situation, I might, you know, grab my pepper spray or in this situation, I might try to like outrun somebody and not to make this all about taking a bunch of self-defense classes. But I think thinking of having sort of strategies and plans for defense and care of your body will also be useful and Beyond that, uh, I, I wonder, you know, is there a significant difference between seeing your body as part of yourself or seeing it as something that you are stuck in, in the sense that either way you have to do business with your body every day, both of those might be equally useful. I don't necessarily have a big stake in either of them. I mean, certainly, I think it's it's good to avoid too much Gnosticism, uh, but that goes for pretty much everybody. But I, I guess I'll just sort of wrap up by saying, it sounds like you're in still sort of early days of transition. You recently got substantially harassed and you're still finding your way into a local trans community. It makes sense to me that you're also having a tough time feeling like, what am I doing? Um, what's this going to look like in five years? How am I going to handle this? Is, is Are things going to continue to be this hard? And I think that the the best advice that I really have for that is just continue to be really honest as you search for trans compatriots, um, because honesty will help you find the people who understand what you're going through and what you're feeling. Whereas kind of saying, oh yeah, I guess I feel like everybody else too, or I think everybody else in this room feels really comfortable in certain identities that I don't necessarily, so I'm just going to keep it to myself, that will make you feel additionally alienated in a way that I think will make it harder to continue to connect with yourself and your body. And um, I think that's kind of my final thoughts on the matter. So thank you again so much for writing in. Um, I'm genuinely deeply sorry that you've had that experience, and I just hope that it doesn't happen at all ever again, or that if it does, whoever's trying to follow you trips over a big rock and breaks out all their teeth. Breaks out, breaks off, breaks off all their teeth. We have one more question that is slightly uh pregnancy adjacent or rather there's a, a recent baby in the picture and it's 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 a complicating factor let's say that the subject is three wheels and a baby 
I am a trans mask queer and my partner is a pansexual cis man. We are in a polyamorous relationship and on top of that, we just had a child together. During the pregnancy, he started dating a woman who has only ever been in heteronormative monogamous relationships. My partner would love for all of us to, quote, get along, unquote. We've hung out as a group on several occasions. I do sometimes feel like a third wheel with a baby, as oftentimes the conversations seem to be about her work or their mutual friends. In addition, quite a bit of the child rearing falls on me as the birthing parent. A few things have been frustrating me lately. One is that she never offers to pay when we go to any events that require tickets. Either me or my partner will foot the bill, and she never offers to reimburse us. At first, I thought this was a fluke, but now it's clearly a habit. Once at dinner, she even asked for the check and then left it on the table for us to pay. I hate confrontation, especially since she's my partner's girlfriend. My partner confronted her about it recently, and she apologized, saying that she would reimburse me, although she never reached out to ask for my account details or apologize for being a freeloader, which leads me to complaint number two. She asked my partner if we could go as a group to an event, stating she knew I was interested in going. I am my own person, and I'm struggling to be, quote, friends, unquote, someone who only communicates with me through my partner. The two of us have hung out independently, but only when I initiated and paid for the meetup. Outside of just not hanging out with her, I don't know what to do. How do I keep the peace and still feel like I'm seen as my own individual outside of the relationship? How do I set boundaries with her about paying her share while also not imposing on her relationship with my partner? So, you know, reading this letter, to me, the biggest issue, 1,000%, uh, is in the line, quite a bit of the child rearing falls on me as the birthing parent. And that's not to say I'm going to ignore all of your other questions, but man, that that strikes me as as pretty significant. Uh, you, you, you and your partner just had a baby. And it's not super clear to me that your partner has been like really stressing. My idea of us all getting along is like we are besties. We're constantly hanging out. I I don't really know how much pressure he's been putting on you on that front versus just like he sort of expressed a preference and you have felt an internal degree of pressure. So you'll know that better than I do, um, depending on what that is. I think right now you can do a lot less. So if if right now the balance of child care is not working, I would really encourage you to start first and foremost with that and to, to have more conversations with your partner uh, about other ways that he needs to do more, support you and your child more. That's That's number one, easy with a bullet. And I think getting that addressed uh, is going to go a long way towards making to what degree you want to be friends with your partner's girlfriend feel a little bit less fraught. I know you say you hate confrontation, and and I'm sort of curious about that because one of the things that really struck me is I I didn't think that this was a confrontation. I think just like clarifying an expectation for like a new acquaintance and saying like, oh, by the way, let's go Dutch next time. Or, oh, partner tells me uh, that you are going to reimburse me for dinner last week. Here's my Venmo. To me, that's not a confrontation. That's not like, hey, you and I need to have a sit down about something you did or said that I thought was really messed up and I'm pretty hurt. Like that to me is a confrontation. Just reaching out to say, yeah, a partner told me that you're going to reimburse me. Here's how you can do so. Not a confrontation. Um, and, and I think that's part of why I felt like either your definition of a confrontation is very, very like worryingly low level uh, or things are just kind of feeling big lately because the underlying issue is that you feel like your partner is uh, not where he needs to be. And and again, that sort of creeps through and like, 
we've hung out as a group on several occasions. I kind of feel like the third wheel holding the baby. And part of what that says to me is, again, I don't want to like read worst possible intentions. I don't want to assume that your partner and his girlfriend have just been sitting around being like, oh, I wish letter writer wasn't here. What a drip. Let's talk about work and have fun. Um, so much as like, they just I, like weren't picking up on something or they, they, they just made the wrong call in the moment. But I think just to also say to your partner, one thing that I want from you is the next time we hang out together, the three of us, which doesn't have to be anytime really soon. Um, but whenever it is, I, I want you to know the last couple of times, the conversation really sort of drifted into just topics between the two of you. And uh, I I want you and I to be, you know, more on the same page. I want to be checking in more. And so I want you to maybe, since you know both of us the best, I want you to do a little more facilitating and like bringing up topics that you know will interest all of us or sharing a little bit of information with me about her or vice versa. Um, you know, be a little bit more of a host. And again, that doesn't have to be confrontational. That doesn't have to be, and you did it so, you know, badly last time and I'm really hurt and mad so much as just like, I'm just letting you know what I need. And so I think then the the next question is really just what does getting along mean for you? So I have some sense of it seems like your partner would maybe like to be, you know, socializing together maybe a few times a month, maybe a little bit more often, going to events together, going to meals together, and the two of you, uh, you and his girlfriend, hanging out. That's fine. That's That sounds lovely. But that might not be your expectation. Like, what does getting along mean for you? Because if for you it means I occasionally see her in passing, we met a handful of times when you two started seeing each other, but I really, like, I want this to be your domain. I'm not in the market for a new bestie. I don't want to be getting coffee with her one-on-one. Like, if that's what your idea is, then you just need to be able to talk about that with your partner because there's nothing wrong with either of those possibilities. Um, I I just think the worst thing you could do would be to say, I really like, she seems fine, but like, I just don't want to especially like be buddies, but because my partner would like us all to get along, I'm going to go to a bunch of concerts and dinners that I really don't feel like going to and like meeting up with this person. I just don't really care that much for, um, because that's what you're supposed to do or because that's polite. So really think through like, what do I want? Not just what do I think my partner wants and what do I think I could tolerate? But like, what is my idea of getting along here? And share that with him. And maybe it looks a little bit like what he wants, but with with fewer get-togethers, maybe it looks very different and you two will have to discuss and, you know, find compromise. But I would, I would totally understand a, a sense of like, whoa, you know, we've gotten three group dinners, maybe going to a concert and I've gotten coffee with her twice in like a month and a half and we just had a baby. This is way too much. I need to do way less. Um, That would also be absolutely fine. The other part I I thought was actually maybe an opportunity to let something go. You say that you're your own person. You're struggling to be quote friends with someone who only communicates with you through your partner. My read there is, is, especially since this is her first time dating someone who has other partners, she doesn't really know what she's doing. She's she's probably afraid of stepping on toes. My guess is she's really aware you two just had a baby together and doesn't want to seem like presumptuous. And so I, I also, it's possible, you know, your letter, there's, there's some frustration here. It doesn't sound like you can't stand her, but I can definitely imagine she has potentially gotten some chilly, if not slightly disapproving vibes from you uh, at, at certain times during your your shared dates or your time together. And so 
it's possible she went through your boyfriend because she's just a little worried about offending you and doesn't want to do that. So I, I think I can really understand feeling annoyed that she has made assumptions. Uh, again, I think you can fix that pretty easily. It sounds like when your boyfriend said, hey, we want you to pay your own way on group dates, she was pretty good about, oh, okay, I can totally do that, and then just didn't quite know how to talk to you about it. Uh, unless or until she gives you reason to think, man, she's like really out to like take advantage of other people in social settings, or she is just really thoughtless about money. Um, I think you can assume this. she's, she's just flailing a little because she doesn't know what to do. So just like reach out, give her your... Venmo or PayPal or whatever app you use to send money and just let her know what she owes you and say so, you know, neutrally, cheerfully, express that you had a nice time seeing her. You're not shaking her down. She She's not like a, a gambler who's been coming to your mafia club too often and you need to break her knees. Just be like clear and friendly. Not a, not a big confrontation, but it doesn't have to be a huge deal either. And so you just got to communicate your expectations. And so if it's like, uh, you know, here's my number. If you ever want to um, do something all three together, please hit me up. Let me know. But if it's less like I actually do want to go to this event and I want her to talk to me directly and it's more I actually don't really like hanging out with her and now I also feel offended because I feel slighted, then I would not encourage you to ask her to ask you directly because what that would really mean is I don't really want to socialize with you, but I do want you to defer to me or to treat me with the, in, in like respect in such a way that I feel like I'm extracting respect from you. So really ask yourself the question. If she had contacted you directly and said, I want to go to this concert. I know you would like it. Would you like to come? Would you have wanted to go? Or would you feel like, okay, she did the proper thing, but I still don't really want to hang out with her that much? And again, that's a really open question. Maybe give yourself a little time to think about that too, because you might feel like, sure, I'd go. And then on a little careful reflection, you'd be like, actually, no, I just kind of like having an idea of myself as a generally reasonable person who gets along with people. Um, and I'm worried that if I don't really like her, there's something like wrong with our arrangement or things are going to be bad. But it's it's really okay just to say, you know what? I met her. I gave her a shot. I'm glad that my partner's happy with her. I wouldn't cross the street to avoid her. But I just don't want to be going to concerts with her all the time. That is also really, really fine. And then in that case... You can contact her directly and just say, hey, thanks for the invite. You know, partner mentioned that you thought the three of us could go to this. I'm not going to be uh, available that night, but I hope you two have a, a great time. Like, that can be fine, too. You can be warm and not her friend. It is possible to be friendly and not friends with a partner's partner. So I, I think, again, just the order of operations here is like, number one, get the childcare conversation right with your partner first. Number two, Cut way back on the number of times the three of you are getting together. It sounds like in a very short span of time, you've been hanging out a lot and you just need to be able to reassess. And then kind of three, have a more broad conversation with your partner about your, just, just you and your partner about your shared idea of what's getting along and what can you offer each other. And then once you two kind of have that idea in place, then you can think about, all right, do I want to go to a concert with her? Would I rather like put it off another month? Um, is this somebody I want to see like a handful of times a year? Because that would be fine. And and that way also you'll you'll be able to have a little more time to talk over with your partner ahead of time. Like, you know, you don't have to be micromanaging these encounters to death, but just saying like, yeah, I want to see her a couple of times a year, not a couple of times a month. I want to make sure when we have our shared conversations that you're checking in with me occasionally to make sure that it's not just you two talking about work or your shared buddies. 
None of that has to be a big confrontation, big angry conversation. That's all super normal, appropriate stuff, especially if you're in multiple relationships. And congratulations uh, on your wonderful baby. Um, that's fantastic. But yeah, I'm really glad she is now up for splitting the bill. And that means any future get-togethers, uh, you can just take that one for granted. And when the bill comes, just say, let's split this one right down the middle. Throw your card in. People like guidance, I think. Uh, you know, there are occasionally some people who genuinely are looking to get as much as they can out of other people in social situations. But most people, they just want to know. And especially for this woman, it just sounds like this is really her first time and uh, she will benefit and appreciate from sort of cheerful, clear expectations more than anything else. And good luck. Right back. I would love to hear how any of these conversations go. If any of this strikes you as uh, being on the mark or a little off, uh, I really, really hope it didn't sound like I was saying you're being unduly suspicious. Um, your frustrations make so much sense to me. And it's difficult sometimes to talk about, you know, communication or money with someone you've just met, especially when you're also dealing with a newborn. So just again, you have, you know, my total sympathy and support and I wish you nothing but the best. I love wishing people the best. It's great. Uh, before I let the rest of you go, uh, I have a quick update, I guess. It's not an update because it's not from someone who wrote me a letter, but it's from someone who heard me read a letter and has some thoughts they want to share. So whatever that is. This one is about the recent episode, Is She Really Going Out With Her? In your latest episode, you and Allison talked about different ways a letter writer might continue advocating for foster youth. I thought they and your listeners might also like to hear about another way you can be there for foster youth. You can be a court-appointed special advocate or guardian ad litem, CASA slash GAL being uh, the, the acronyms, which is very charming. These volunteers are assigned to a foster youth and they take them on outings, serve as mentors, advocate for their interests in court and with caseworkers, and they're often the most sort of consistent members of a foster youth support team. They pretty much always need more candidates, particularly young adults, LGBT. Why do I always have trouble saying LGBTQ? I should, I should be able to say it fluidly. LGBTQ people. Uh, men, people of color, and people willing to be paired with older youth. And you can always learn more about the training and certification process in your area by looking up your city's name plus CASA or going to HTTPS colon forward slash. Man, I do not know how to read uh, like diacritical marks out loud. That's not even, they're, they're like punctuation marks. Diacritical is the little marks that go over letters. I never really learned grammar. Anyways, it's HTTPS two dots, forward slash, forward slash, nationalcasagal.org, which is a lot of fun to say. And um, on that sort of charming failure, I'm going to leave you all. Thank you so much for listening to the show, especially since uh, there was no second person to break up my train of thought. Uh, and I'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15. 
for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood, listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Even just saying something like, to, to make matters worse, I had never wanted to be pregnant. I would just encourage you to get rid of language like that. This does not make matters worse. Anybody can spend, you know, 35 years saying, I never want to be pregnant. I don't like the idea at all. And then get pregnant and change their mind. And that's fine. And same with vice versa. Someone can go for years saying, I want to get pregnant. I want to have a baby. And then one day they think, oh, shit, no, I don't. That's great, too. You're just always allowed to change your mind. That's a good thing. Full stop. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.